On this episode of AV Week, we talk about which connectors manufacturers should be concerned with uh, extending, how to get into the broadcast education market, and when to call it quits on a project. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Kramer Electronics. This is AV Week, episode 240, recorded Friday, April 1st, 2016. Air gaps. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information for the commercial market. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us this week, the left side of my brain, co-founder of all things AV Nation, and just a darn smart and nice gentleman. His name is George Tucker. How are you, sir? I'm all right. You forgot handsome, damn it. I'm sorry, handsome, yes. <laughs> and 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 real quickly, uh, he has a birthday in a few weeks, and I won't oh, I, I won't mention how young Mr. Tucker will be. Also with us is Ernie Beck. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Uh, and last but not least, uh, probably one of the smartest programmers that I know and, and someone that scares the bejesus out of me every time I talk with her. Uh, but And also a very smart and, and, and very nice person, Ronnie Ann Spank. How are you, ma'am? Happy April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's Day. This this is Ronnie's favorite day of the year. <laughs> so, um, oh, happy birthday. Uh, happy upcoming birthday, George. Thank you. Yes. And uh, since we're talking about birthdays, it actually is, is our buddy Mike Shen's birthday on today. And that explains an awful lot about Mike. Uh, if, if you know him, um, we were going to do some, some crazy uh, April Fool's jokes and stuff, but we're not. It just, I'm not smart enough nor, nor uh, talented enough to do them. So we're just going to start with the stories. How about that? Uh, first up, um, so from, this is from our friends over at uh, AV Networks, uh, which is the home of, of publications like SCN and um, AV Technology and and some others. And, and the story is really not necessarily, or, or the take I'm going to take on it, is not necessarily about the extenders. The extenders are cool. Uh, Extron is, is shipping 4K um, twisted pair for DisplayPort. That's the story. You got a transmitter receiver. You can, you can shoot DisplayPort between these two with some twisted pair. Here's my question, though. And, and Mr. Tucker, we're going to start with you. DisplayPort is fine, right? Are we, though, at a, at a point in, in our technological walk where manufacturers should be focusing on something beyond this connector? And maybe even beyond the HDMI connector. Yes, with HDMI 2.2, you can get 4K, right? Uh, should they be focusing on more things like the, the USB-C connector? Or mini DisplayPort, which or can mini also display do 4K. Yeah. Uh, well, here's the deal. I mean, from industrial side, I will tell you right now that DisplayPort is still a uh, very active and very used uh, format. It just has to be. It's what delivers what we need, the bandwidth, etc. Uh, Mini DisplayPort is there as well, so I think you're looking at a you know an existing infrastructure that's there already, uh, and that there are some 
vi- uh, not only legacy, but video gear that really does still put that out, and its life cycle is not going to go away very soon. So I, I think it's a viable product. How long they, they look to do it, I don't know, and I don't even know how much they are even ca- charging for it. I didn't look at that, but I think it's for the, for the interim, it's good. All right, Ronnie, same question for you. Are, are we at the point where we need to start exploring other connectors and other transports to, to extend? Uh, this thing does 70 meters, so obviously you're, you're trying to get beyond the limitations of HDMI, uh, and even you're trying to get beyond the, the, the limitations of DisplayPort. So we should, be, should, we, should we, as a as, as manufacturing, should they be focusing on other connectors? Well, right now, first of all, as a manufacturer, there's different types of products. It's the short term and the long term. In the short term, you have to focus on what exists. DisplayPort and HDMI do. Um, Distance limitations on better uh, connectors like HDSDI, and there I go wanting to go broadcast, balanced, and commercial all the time, um, would, would make more sense from a technical perspective. And if I had any influence over the world, I'd say we should force everyone to a balanced, you know, quality connector 100% of the time, do away with unbalanced, get rid of RCA, get rid of HDMI DisplayPort, which can pop out. I want latching BNC connectors. But Amen. the real world is, is that DisplayPort and HDMI is what the consumers are forcing. And if I were a manufacturer, I would build for that. Um, where the DisplayPort and HDMI is. When I first saw this, my first thought is, well, gosh, I can use a DisplayPort HDMI adapter. So I don't really need this per se, but it is nice to have something native. It is nice to not need to go to a 401 where you've got VGA, HDMI, and DisplayPort in order to have a native DisplayPort connection. and we need CAD extenders, but we also need fiber too, because sometimes I've got someone who wants to run the same signal from one floor to another or another building. And of course, H.264 streaming is also becoming more uh, ubiquitous. So there's there's a lot of options and alternatives, but what should manufacturing do? I think we should build for what we have today, which includes DisplayPort. And as far as in the future, I really wish manufacturing would listen to the engineers. Please start using latching connectors um, and preferably balanced connectors, and everybody will love you. Okay, so let me let me ask you one thing and, and take one small issue with what you said. You, you said that HDMI and DisplayPort's being driven by the consumer. Is that really the case, or is it being driven by the, the content manufacturing group who... Those are the po- folks who put together HDMI, right? These are the, these people, along with, with Intel, are the ones who came up with the HDMI connector to protect their content. They couldn't care less that it has a latching connector or not, right? But it's easy. It's it, yes, it's easy, right? It's easy and it's 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 simple, and they and they can put code in. in well, they they can encode things in it. So I don't know. Um. Uh, Mr. Beck here, uh, what do you what do you think? Are we are we should be be focused on on different connectors? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, I agree with both George and Ronnie and, and their thoughts on that. I mean, you know, the fact is is that not only do you still have a ton of um, products out there in the marketplace that are are DisplayPort only or supporting DisplayPort, um, you also have a lot of end users that are you know in a refresh cycle that still has VGA. So, you know, DisplayPort for them is kind of a new thing, um, especially now when we're getting into these um, larger LED wall and, and video wall applications that are becoming more and more common in our in our designs. Um, they're being fed by, you know, 
powerful PC players that are, you know, DisplayPort 1.4 only. So I think you're actually going to see more applications for this, and I think this specific extender. I think if you're doing the day-to-day -day conference room classroom design, you're going to look at a 4K, you're going to look at a DisplayPort 4K extender and say, I, I have no need for this. But in the specialty applications, these more, um, like I said, video wall environmental media products and, and design, uh, I think it's absolutely relevant. I think it's a lot better where we are today than when I came into the industry, you know, seven years ago, where we had HDMI, you know, first version of HDMI, DVI, DVID, RCA. I mean, we had significantly more connectors. So now if my toolbox has, you know, HDMI and DisplayPort, I'm, I'm doing much better than I was a few years ago, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, move on here, and, and uh, Ronnie, we'll start with you on this. Um, this is from our, our friends over at AV Magazine, and uh, th they had a story about um, Black Magic. Excuse me, couldn't even get the word out of my mouth. Black Magic Designs uh, helping out a, a college here or over in, in the UK get into some some video production. And uh, here's the, the interesting thing about this: this is a market that not a lot of integrators focus on. Yes, they'll, they'll get into education, and yes, they'll get into you know, putting projectors in and, and things of that nature. But with, with a couple of exceptions, there's not a whole lot that look at the audio and video production part of uh, education as a viable option or, or even as a market that they, that they want to get into. Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, Roscorp, before they, before they shut down, they were one that was huge in this market, right? I mean, Roscorp, you could, you could uh, depend on them to uh, put in some pretty significant AV installations, but also you could hire them to build out an entire studio. Uh, there's actually two or three here in St. Louis that, brought, that was one of the last jobs that Roscorp did from, from their broadcast side. Ronnie, how do we how do we get integrators and um, some of the folks that that kind of come alongside us to start looking at this as a viable option, as a viable vertical to get into? Because you do have companies like Panasonic, like Blackmagic, like Sony, like Canon, who are going to be at Infocom this year in in Vegas, who make products not just for the classroom, but also for these these student uh, driven um, uh, studios. Well, that's that's interesting. I'm not sure how to get integrators to change because uh, there's a wide integrators are as diverse as the clients and in, in the markets that we serve. Um, you know, there are integrators that focus on certain verticals and certain applications and won't go beyond that because they found their comfort zone and they're going to stay there. There are other integrators like where I'm currently at. You know, GBH Communications. We do everything. I mean, everything. Any vertical headsets. You can see behind me video walls, carts. We've got you know, medical and clean room technologies, uh, any vertical you can think of. We've done large venues, small venue, uh, phone systems, you know, uh, custom sound reinforcement where we design speakers for an application. Wow. So there are integrators that let you play in any space, and there are integrators that say this is all we want to do in this little box, and that's all we're going to do. And I don't know that needs to change. Um, let there be some specialists in our industry that focus on certain verticals and maybe want to be the best at it. And then other integrators will say, hey, we have the talent. We can cross-pollinate. Um, most integrators don't have the depths of talent that I work with here. 
in the company I'm at, we've got one engineer with less than two decades of experience. So I'm on a team of people who are masters in their field. And for this team to jump into, hey, we got a broadcast studio that, you know, that needs uh, an Image Pro or, you know, some Christie or some Barco, whatever, it doesn't matter, we can do it. We can do, you know, edge blended projections and domes and we, we have museum clients and military. and You know, it just, it's not a problem because the, the resources are behind it. But if you look at what a lot of the companies in our field do, they'll have one or two people with a decade or two of experience. And that person will be, you know, babysitting a bunch of people who've only been in the field a couple of years, pulling cables and holding their hand. Here's how you terminate. Here's how you test. And, the, you know, you can't put these, you know, 15, 20, $25 an hour rookies, if you will, into situations where they're going to do a stadium one day in a broadcast studio the next in a conference room in a classroom. They don't have the, the foundation or the background to be able to do that. Uh, to be able to do those types of things takes somebody who's got understanding of audio, of video, of cables, of signal. For cameras, you need to know about light and background lighting and, and you know, how to measure the, the lumens and, and, and light, ambient lighting and Kelvin. Uh, you need to know your f-stops and exposure and white balance. I mean, there's just a ton of information that you need to know. And then audio and each one of those things is a career by itself, you know. So to really be good at AV, you've got to know everything about everything. And to run in multiple verticals, you have to multiply that exponentially. So not every AV company should go beyond their specialty. There are companies that aren't willing to invest in their people to get people that are capable of that. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's better for us as an industry if people who would otherwise make a complete disaster by expanding their markets uh, don't do that. You know, let them stay in, in the space where they're good instead of wandering out where they're not and making a mess of things for everyone else. That's a really good point. That's a very, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the fact that, that there are some folks who probably shouldn't be uh, getting in, involved in, in this part of the industry. Um, Ernie, we'll, we'll start with, come with you on this one. Uh, if you should be, or if you're interested in this, how, how do we, how do we help those who think that they, they might want to get into this part of the industry? You're talking in terms of the broadcast side or specialty yes, systems and these types of education. All right. So, you know, like Ronnie said, I mean, you know, one of the strengths of a professional of a true professional is to know where your strengths are and to play within that, um, play within that arena so that you don't, um, you know, water down your capabilities. And, and you know, I, I think it's important to to look at that. I think it also comes down to a business decision, really, when, for, for different companies. Some companies don't um, excel in the in the higher education space because it's just not their it's just not their typical vertical to begin with. Maybe it's more procurement driven. Maybe it's more low bid, you know, um, you know, low margin, you know, big volume projects, and they just don't even bother to look at that. So I would like to comment, though, maybe less about it from a how do you break into it or what's the thought of breaking into it from the integration side, more from the looking at. Um, how cool it is that Blackmagic has um, paired up with this university to provide them some technology and some experience. You know, I, I, this could be a whole show and a discussion in and of itself. And I went to a trade school. I didn't go to a traditional college. I studied, you know, we, we had broadcast, we had video, we had audio, nonlinear editing. Um, 
you know, AV, that's where I studied actually AV technician work there. And, and for me, it was a really great thing to have technical, practical, hands-on um, tools to use every day. And, and I, in, in this particular system, you know, they're doing a 72 by 72 router. You know, not only are the students getting to see, you know, how to plug things in, but they're also getting this, um, this visibility into like larger infrastructure, larger engineered systems that can go across campuses. And when you get out of school, you have these, you know, you have these skills that you've, you've been exposed to because this is a similar system that you would see in, you know, corporate enterprise or in, you know, um, entertainment. So I really think uh, this kind of brings up a bigger picture of, I think there should be more programs and training for hands-on, especially with the cost of college and education rising. Um, you know, Crestron, for example, they partner up with my school um, to provide hands-on training for terminations and, you know, installation and, and configuring transmitters and receivers and DM and all that. So I think there, I think it's really great. I'd like to see more manufacturers break into that first and maybe they can drive that need that integrators can then come and backfill. No, that's, that's a really good point is the fact that, that you've got companies like Blackmagic and, and Crestron who are helping out education uh, facilities because a lot of times you don't. I mean, uh, um, the, the school that I went to and eventually did my graduate work at, we bought everything. You know, we, we had an annual budget and, and, and the, the engineers there went to NAB every year and, and contacted the local integrator and, and you had X amount of, of money to spend. So, uh, Mr. Tucker, you're, you're probably the, the closest to, to as any of us in, into live staging and, and, and production and stuff like that. Uh, take it from either either angle, either how manufacturers get in to, to the way that the Ernie was describing or how we help integrators uh, break into this market if they think they need to. Well, I think all of the points that the, both Ronnie and Ernie made are, are quite valid. Um, I don't know if I can add much to those sides of it that we do need to provide the education, but here are my two or three concerns uh, when we talk about that. One, um, all integrators and all manufacturers at some point, unless they're very highly specialized, need to go vertical as well as horizontal. Because eventually your competitors will and they'll fill in the space. Just look at what happened at Crestron AMX, Control 4. There were all control companies doing certain things with a touch panel and then you have to do your other markets. And they, burp, they bumped into each other. It's the Crestron bumping into Lutron, bumping into so-and-so and taking over portions of that marketplace because they had to. That's where the money is, that's where your growth is. Uh, especially for publicly held companies. Uh, a company like Crestron, privately held, does it because they want that market. Um, when I look at the black magic thing, though, I wonder. It's nice that they donate to school or at least give them some low price, but what's the lifespan cycle for the school in that technology? Five years? Ten years? You know, so what's the investment and the return, and what does that do to the trade school, um, sorry, the, the, the cost? <laughs> I lost the word there for yeah. a moment. It's a tuition. Uh, I, too, went to a trade school. Uh, back in the days where one of my finals was actually razoring tape. So, wow. you know, yeah, I'm going to go shuffle off now. Um, so, yes, and I still cannot listen to Billy Gibbons for what they made me do with his voice. So, um, but, and that's what worries me about that is that they put all this investment in. It's a great thing. I don't want to take away from the altruism for that at all. But why are they learning on a single ecosystem? Nothing I've ever experienced will ever be a single ecosystem, even for major Crestron or AMX dealers. There's other components so if they're learning the theories that's great but if you're but, yeah. sort of you can't teach that them, focus yeah go ahead Ernie. you can't teach them you can't teach them that that real world experience in school you have to give them and that's a, i mean it's a good point like if in the perfect world they would be exposed to a variety of you know system types and configurations and they would be exposed to more than just black magic or more than just crestron or extron um 
but you know, a lot of that is like, let's get, you know, you got to get them started somewhere. And then when they get into the field, you know, they have a baseline. I mean, for example, I studied, when I studied studio recording, we learned on a solid state logic board. Now that has buttons and sliders and gain control and, you know, um, uh, fading and mixing just like a Yamaha console, just like an Allen, but it's, you know, it's just, you have to start somewhere. Um, I don't know how, how realistic it would be to expect that the educational facility has the means, ways and means to provide all those different types of scenarios. It's certainly food for thought, but I don't know how they would, how they would do that. Well, and, and, and it, it makes a good point. Um, uh, the, uh, one thing about that is, is you have to have some, some consistency, right? For your engineers, for the engineering staff, uh, the, the, um, uh, the the school I, I eventually ended up teaching with, I was doing grad work, was we, we they were a uh, an, an Avid house, right? Now I had never really worked on Avid. I had I'd messed around with it for a while, so I had to learn it before I taught it. Obviously, um, I have been a Premiere uh, and, and Final Cut Pro when it comes to video editing ever since Premiere 1.0, right? Ever since FCP 1.0, and it was a learning curve. Now. They were an avid house simply because that that's what the the majority of the instructors, the majority of the professors, the engineers, the folks that were on staff were avid certified, this, that, and the other. They had an avid server, everything. But just because they learned on avid didn't mean they couldn't take that knowledge and take the the, the basic understanding of how Core to cut. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I taught audio production, I, I we started out, good Lord, this is going to date me, Mr. Tucker. I, I started out on Saw. Right, taught saw. If if any of you remember saw and saw plus, yeah, you don't earn it because you're too young. <laughs> it was it was a, a gorgeous, you know, uh, four track audio editor. Uh, it, it had destructive editing, which if you're familiar with that is once you made the cut, it actually did it to the hard drive. You lost that audio. Yep. And we moved from that to Pro Tools, but just because you learn on Pro Tools doesn't mean you can't take those fundamentals. And move it on to uh, mm-hmm. Adobe Audition, which is actually what we use here at, at AV Nation. Both George and I use Audition. Um, honestly, for no other reason, is because when when you're making a podcast, and up until Pro Tools 11, when you bounce it to disc and you make an MP3 out of it, Pro Tools did it in real time, and Audition didn't and, until, like I said, mm-hmm. until 11. So, and now it's just too expensive. We're we're ingrained in Audition, so I like it. Uh, all right, one last article here as I venture into my own little proclivities of, of various NLEs. Uh, this is from Sound of Communications, a, a gentleman by the name of James Maltese. When to pull the plug? Quote, unquote, I'm sure we've all been there attacking the same problem for hours upon hours, calling tech support and loading new firmware ad nauseum, and he goes on to... to, to to uh, explain exactly what you do when you try to troubles, troubleshoot a system for hours on end. Typically, I end up calling Rich Fragoza. Um, Ernie, we'll start with you. When do you say enough is enough? Well, you know, honestly, Tim, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this question. I, my, my hands have been soaking in ivory liquid behind the uh, telephone for, you know, since I started in the industry, I, with the exception of the first three months when I was a field technician. But you know, I got to hand it up to the service and support folks who are there after hours, you know, uploading or loading firmware, debugging the system and commissioning. Um, but I can weigh in on one thing that was said later in the article, which talked about trying to identify the issues as close to the design as possible. And one one way we, we really, you know, do that here, at least at Scenario, 
is we build the system basically three times before it gets turned on to, to turn over to the client. Very so um, before it even leaves, before it even leaves our shop, we've already, you know, we've already built the rack. We've, you know, uploaded IP addresses, MAC addresses. We've configured the control system. We basically have run the entire system, goes through a peer review, then gets shipped out to the field for, for installation. So we catch a lot of that stuff up front. Um, so I think it's really important that it's about your process and, and how do you, you know, from my perspective as the sales engineer, how do I minimize the time my guys are going to be spent on, on um, support with, uh, on the call with, uh, with support. So. All right. Uh, Mr. Tucker, you're going to have a different take on this just because of the nature of your business, but you can take it from the live staging and events, which the answer to that I'm going to assume is you never pull the plug. Uh, and you can take it from the installation. Yeah, well, we do both. So, yeah. I mean, we do live and we do some very high level sort of broadcast installation, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah I, first of all, hallelujah to this article. It was really well written and yes. it had major points very well and very succinctly. Um, First is, like you said, know the system. And sometimes that means documenting it properly, please. Mm -hmm. This is a big, big thing that we don't do. We all talk about it. It's sort of like all saying that uh, I want to give my time to a homeless shelter or a food uh, bank, and we never do. And some of us do, but you know what I mean by that, that sort of fake altruism. Uh, we, we need to do that. And he, like he said, break it down to bare bones. There's so many people who don't say, this thing's not working. Just disconnect the things and go one by one. And this is a standard, you know, troubleshooting thing. Now, Ronnie and I can both speak to this because we've worked at the same company doing the same type of support. And when this article mentions, I think it's Maltese, is that his last name? Yep, James Maltese. Um, that what is the tech support person's real big problem? They're doing this blind. And we used to talk about that a lot where I said, you know, when, when I was managing some support people, you have to, have to, have to ask them very detailed, over and over questions. You have to say to them the first time, I, look, I know this is going to sound silly, but can you confirm that the switch is on and it's plugged in? I know, but I'd rather ask you now when we both go away than 30 minutes, an hour and a half, two hours from now, we find that out. And there was an example, I think I've told you the story about the early faxes. And I'll tell it real quick. But it's one of those Apple sort of apophical stories. When you first had the Apple giving out faxes from the computer, there's a call about a woman calling in saying it wasn't transmitting the fax. And the guy would keep saying, all right, put the document on screen, hit send, what happens? Nothing. They're doing this over and over again. And finally he has her change some settings, and then they say, okay, now is the document on screen? Yes. Hit send, what happens? Nothing. Well, what is it, what is it saying in the right-hand corner? Well, hold on a minute, I have to move the paper. And what he finds out is, what does put the document on screen mean? She was putting a physical, physical piece of paper on the screen yeah. because people know what faxes are. So when you're being honest with your support people, you need to be detailed as well. The only mistake, or I guess, or the only dishonor in this is trying to cover a track of yourself or somebody else when really what you want to do is get the system working <laughs> mm -hmm. and know that you'll be there for hours. I know that was long-winded, but that really hits to the point of we can attest to this. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, and, and actually, my, my favorite um, uh, engineering uh, report from a customer experience was, um, this is from a, another integrator, or another manufacturer. Um, the report simply stated, um, product was, or, or product system was not functioning, re-instituted uh, Edison plug. <laughs> Which, if you're not familiar with what that means, it just means they simply plugged it back in. 
they they got rid of the uh, high impedance air gap. High impedance air gap reinstituted as as plug. Yes. <laughs> All right, Ronnie, you'll have the last word on this, and uh, and then we'll let you guys go enjoy your weekend. When do you say enough's enough? Well, the, I I don't get beat. I'm gonna tell you straight up. I don't get beat by uh, enough's enough. I felt like this was written more towards a client or a user than a tech. Okay. As a as an installer, I am not paid to fail. I am paid for success and only for success. Now that doesn't mean that you're not gonna stump me, but I'll get on the phone to one of my partners who knows something I don't, and we'll call the manufacturer. That said, here's how I can guarantee success for everyone. This is the secret of troubleshooting. It is the formula that works for 100% of every problem you will ever encounter. If you don't get what you want from A to Z, you split it in half. Like George said, isolate the problem. Do you get what you want from A to M? If you do, stop looking there. That's not where the problem is. Move to N to Z. Split that in half. Do you get what you want? from N to R. No, you break that in half until you isolate it to R. It's Ronnie's fault, Ronnie's to blame. <laughs> and you fix the problem. And that will work 100% of the time. That said, with electronics and systems today, if you, what, once you isolate to the device, not the cable, because you, you know in the process of isolation, you're gonna look at the cable, you're gonna look at do you have power. So with a device today, there's only a couple things that can go wrong. Most of them are fixed by reboots. 90% of the time you can fix a device by rebooting it. In the 10% that doesn't work, then you reload the firmware. These things must be done before you call for an RMA. And preferably if you have a spare device you can swap. If you've done both of those things and it still doesn't work, this is where I see a lot of failure in our industry. I've swapped the device, I've got a known good device, I take the device out of the environment, it works, I put it in and it doesn't. Two things, two things, heat, and that's easy, because you can feel if it's hot, if it's in a closed credenza with no fan and it's burning up, it might be heat, hello. So, you know, <laughs> if you can't touch the device, it's hot, it's heat. But if it's not heat, and that's an easy one to determine, don't trust the power. And if you don't trust the power, that means don't trust that 99-cent power cord that goes from the NEMA 15 to the Edison plug on the wall. Don't trust it. And the other thing is don't trust the client's power. Get out a voltmeter. If you're not carrying a voltmeter in our field, you're done. Get out yep. an AC clamp, me you know, clamp meter and check the current. And by the way, I've got oscilloscope screen captures that I carried at a major motion picture studio company that I worked at for a half dozen years that you guys all know about, but I can't say it because I don't want to badmouth them on, on a publication. <laughs> but I took an oscilloscope. We had cameras that would intermittently blur and inter intermittently get sharp. And it wasn't heat. It wasn't the equipment. We tried swapping the equipment. The problem followed the power. I closed the tickets. They kept reopening them. I brought my oscilloscope down. And you could see the sync on green signal go from blurry to clear, blurry to clear. That's because the client had brownouts. And you, that won't show up on a voltmeter. It won't show up on an amp meter. You need a scope. So voltmeter, amp meter, scope. If you don't have those three things, you cannot troubleshoot power correctly. I love it when an electrician comes in and goes, you got 120 volts, it's not the electricity. Not true. And one more final thing, we had an Air Force base again, won't mention which one. 
the equipment didn't work on site, it worked off site, didn't work on site, worked off site, voltage tested clear, client sent us a beautiful screen capture of their voltage. It was three phase electrical and granted we're only on single phase, but the rack and the video wall are on a different phase. Guess what happens to your oh, ground potential? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever trust power. And that's my final word. See, and, and this right here, right? And I, I, we don't have Ronnie on nearly enough, but right there, right? That that segment right there is is completely why you get what you pay for here at, at AV Nation, because that is gold. So thank you very much, Ronnie. Um, that's going to do it. You it's know April Fool's Day. It's April Fool's Day. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Ronnie, how, how, do, how do people find you, get a hold of you, follow you, or, or do you want people to leave you alone? No, I, I love people. Believe it or not, as much as I love equipment, I love people as well. Um, so I can be found at GBH Communications or spang at gbhcommunications.com. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn backslash in backslash Ronnie Spang CTS, uh, you know, but definitely GBH is the easiest place to find me. All right. Very good. Uh, Mr. Beck, thank you also. Uh, how, how do people find you? Thanks, Tim. Uh, you can find me um, on LinkedIn, search Ernie Beck. You can find me on Twitter at Ernie underscore Beck. Uh, you can also follow um uh, my networking group here in Baltimore uh, at integrate underscore be more. Uh, we do a lot of good things in the community yep. and uh, check out Scenario and appreciate your time, guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, and Mr. Tucker, uh, last but not least, how do people find you? Uh, of course, anywhere on social media at Tucker Twos. Uh, I write for Commercial Integrator, the electronic home imprints and higher ed tech people. Yeah, and occasionally he'll write for us too. He he and uh, Mr. Once a month I do. Yes, Mr. Schrago put together a very nice white paper uh, here recently, so you can you can find that. It's very good. So, mm -hmm. uh, my name is Tom Albright. Don't follow me, but go by the website because people like George and and Matt Scott and everybody have done a very good job uh, putting it together. Avnation TV, Avnation TV. You'll find this program and a host of others uh, on there. You're going to find a list of our. Uh, underwriters, so check those out. Those are the people that, that give us money to help us do what we do. So uh, check them out if, if you would, please. Avionation.tv, Avionation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.